0: Hello, and welcome to What the Dev. I'm your host today, Christina Cardoza, news editor of SD Times. A couple weeks ago, I wrote a story on evaluating if serverless is right for you, and I had this great interview with Chris Parlett, director of cloud solutions at ParkMyCloud. Instead of jumping on the bandwagon, Parlett was a little bit more cautious about moving to serverless than most people I've talked to, so I wanted to publish our interview on the podcast for our listeners to learn what they should be skeptical or cautious about when it comes to moving to serverless. So, here you go, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Now, cloud is obviously a current trend a lot of companies are turning to because they're trying to be more modernized. They want to be faster and do things cheaper, um, you know, with less resources. So why, why are people turning to serverless as part of their cloud initiative, modernization initiatives? What are the benefits that they're looking for?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of benefits of serverless. Um, you know, one which really comes back to why cloud has kind of taken off is uh just this idea of people are willing to do the the steps of setting up a server, putting an OS on it, installing uh, software, getting the environment set up and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you ask people what they want, really what they're looking for is just I want whatever thing I'm trying to use. So whether that's a database, they don't really want to uh, rack a server, plug it into a wall, log into it, install an operating system, and then install a database. They just want the database, right? And so that's where having cloud services where someone has done a lot of that setup for you uh, really helps accelerate things because you can just get the database. Um, Now you end up paying a premium for it, but on the other hand, then the cost model also shifts to, and pricing, as opposed to having to pay up front and buy a server for ten thousand dollars, and then buy the software, and then buy all this other stuff, and just do all these upfront costs. Instead, I can just pay as I go, right? And so that's perfect for if I'm developing something, I can develop it rapidly, right? I can just kind of spin things up and do it and get what I need done. Um, and then uh, I can also just kind of pay as I use it. So if what I make doesn't really take off, then I can just kill it off and I haven't spent a ton of money on it. And so I think that's where serverless comes into play is because, so my example, there was just databases, but with serverless, the really nice thing is what people want is to run functions, right? They want to run Python scripts. They want to run JavaScript. They want to run whatever language they're writing things in. But when I code it up and I get ready to deploy it and I want to put it out there for the world to use, I don't want to have to, again, I you know let's say I wrote a Python application. I don't want to have to buy a physical server, plug it into a wall, install things, get my environment all set up just right, uh, and then have it set up and running. That's a lot of work and a lot of upfront costs, and the scalability is not really there, right? So that really comes in with the cloud as well as now. If nobody uses my serverless application, I pay nothing for it. If a ton of people use my serverless application, sure, the cost might go to the roof, but it will scale up and it will handle it. So I'm not going to ever have this uh, now antiquated idea of, oh, somebody killed my website, someone killed my application or killed my server just because they got the front page of some news site. And now all of a sudden a million people are logging into it. Um, so there's definitely a lot of benefits to it. Um, now, you know, there's also some, I don't want to know about it, drawbacks, but it, it there are some things you have to think about when you're deploying the serverless. It's a different model, it's a different way of thinking, right? So You do have to be aware of kind of what the environment looks like, how I can use it, what my options are, um, and what the cost might be and what my use case might be. Where uh, if it's something a little more static and and regular, then maybe having a server set up is going to keep costs lower. So there's a few kind of balancing act things to do there. But, you know, this idea of serverless is definitely something that a lot of people who write software or who have been in the IT space for a while – you know, it's like just give me my function and let it run and that's all I really want.
0: Great. So what trends are you seeing um in this space? How are people using serverless or where where do you see the focus being right now?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's it's funny because serverless has been around now for I guess a couple of years. Uh but I think people are still kind of trying to figure out, especially in an enterprise kind of mode of thinking, where it can really fit in, right? So if I'm a startup okay I can uh, have this idea uh, it involves writing an algorithm or a script or a, a, an application you know I kind of plug them into the servers pretty easily just because it's usually a handful of people we just kind of we're starting from scratch and we can just kind of go with it but in the enterprise world where you already have existing applications that's your line of business is relying on people paying you to do these kind of things it can be hard to kind of fit in that that underlying technology of serverless into what you're already doing, right? So um, I think the trend tends to be now, especially as more and more enterprises are moving to like that microservices architecture, where you're kind of splitting things out. So instead of having one giant application, you end up having a lot of interdependent, small, tiny systems that all kind of do just one thing, and then they all talk to each other. So uh by having that set up, it means you can start to use serverless, maybe not everywhere, but just run a few things, maybe just one or two of your microservices, uh, maybe just where it makes sense. Um, and so I think that, that's what I've seen a lot of people doing is, you know, you initially have those early adopters who go all in on serverless. But I think with the enterprise uh, kind of application and as people are trying to push the envelope in enterprise, you know, it, it ends up being kind of let's dip our toe in here. Let's try it there. Let's just convert a couple of our things, see how it goes. You have to evaluate it. Not, you know, a startup can do things in two-week chunks. An enterprise may have to see, okay, after, let's see after three months what our AWS bill looks like or what, uh, you know, how, how people have responded after we've gone through a Black Friday kind of event where there's a huge spike in traffic. So there's a lot of kind of what-ifs, and you have to do a lot more evaluation and planning. But I I think that's kind of where, at least with the customers I work with who are larger enterprise customers, they really want to do serverless, but they can't just jump in. They have to kind of be a little more cautious about it and plan out a little more. So I think that's kind of where I've seen the trend is you're going to start to see more and more of those enterprises going to serverless, but it'll be in kind of smaller chunks just behind the scenes. They may not be, you know, talking at conferences about it yet, but, you know, they're they're trying it out. They're kind of fitting it in where it makes sense, but they're trying to make sure they know where it makes sense.
0: Since serverless is still new, but it's been around for a couple of years, what have we learned over these last couple of years as we've been working with serverless? Yeah, I think what we've learned is... is, um, the the
1: cost models, while they're attractive, especially in sort of the prototype phase of development and in the dev and test phase of development, it it's it's there I think there's more and more data now about um what exactly the costs and what the ongoing maintenance looks like for a serverless environment that you're using for production purposes. So, you know, if this is something that is an application that is maybe making you your company money, or or you know is it really the basis for something that you're doing. I think uh, that's something that we've started to learn over time. Is as those early adopters have made use of servos, Now we have some more data around. Okay, you know I think AWS says uh, the first million invocations of Lambda are free. And you're like, well, that sounds like a lot, but then it's like, well, is that a lot? Is that not a lot throughout a month? I don't know. You have to, it, it, doing that kind of math, especially around what your application does and what you're using servos for. I think we're starting to learn more and more about how to plan that and how to uh, evaluate that properly. So I think that's the the good thing about getting further along in the adoption curve is now that you've had people using it, you do have a better sense of what you're going to pay, um, if there's huge spikes in traffic, what that means, if there's flat traffic, what that means. And you can evaluate it more than an apples-to-apples apples comparison with a uh m- more traditional server model, I'll call it. Um, and so I think doing that comparison, i mean, and that's what scares people if they want to move their serverless, is I want to be able to compare things. Um, I want to know what it's going to cost me. I want to be able to predict things. And so I think now we're starting to be able to better predict that um, so I think that's kind of what we've learned over the past few years.
0: So do you think um it's important though for enterprises to start looking at serverless and to start moving to serverless models in order to stay um competitive and um you know in this modern digital transformation?
1: I would say it depends, which is not a great answer. Um <laughs> but uh I, I think it needs to be evaluated. So I'm not sure that – you, you know, you talk to some people who are big into serverless, uh, and they're like, well, yeah, serverless solves all sorts of problems. Every problem can, can work in serverless. There are some people who are like, I'm never going to go to serverless, and then you have kind of in the middle. So I'm, I'm more of a middle person where I think it has its use cases, but I think it's not going to solve everything, and I don't think it's the perfect use case for everything you're going to try to do. But I think it is important for enterprises and larger organizations to evaluate it as an option. Right, so it's not just like something that came out last year and it's going to die off, and uh, you know all the cloud providers are just going to kill it off because no one's using it. Obviously, it's being used. It's going to be around for a while. It's only getting better, which is a great thing, right? So it's another option. It's another tool in the toolbox, and so I think it needs to be evaluated as a deployment option, especially for new applications or or if you're modernizing applications, if you're Uh, kind of revamping what your IT staff and what your IT infrastructure looks like, it needs to be involved in the conversation for sure. Um, And I think there are definitely certain places where serverless makes a ton of sense and for companies to stay agile, to stay flexible and to uh, get the benefits of cloud and to get the benefits of the flexibility and the, uh, the cost structure instead of paying upfront costs you know, kind of that pay as you go model of the bursting capability. Uh, I think all that definitely is something that needs to be evaluated um, to at least see if it makes sense.
0: What are some other options of getting the benefits of the cloud of saving money without, you know, moving to the serverless model? Yes,
1: yeah, so I think uh, if you're talking just specifically cloud, uh, I think there's kind of I'll say three main uh, kind of uh, structures for your for how you kind of set things up, one is the traditional server model, where you just run a virtual machine, uh, similar to an on-premise virtual machine, um, and you just run things from there, right? So you install an operating system, Linux or Windows. Uh, you know, you you install all your applications on there. You set things up in similar ways. The nice thing about that is, okay, everything's a virtual machine. It makes it really easy to know what you're getting. It's virtual machines. It's OSs. We've done this for 30 years now, 40 years. however long? Again, I can't do math. <laughs> it's been. It's, we've been doing this for a long time, right? And so, you know, it, it, it's you have all that um, the knowledge about how to run that and the playbooks and everything like that. Kind of the second, um, I'd say, more modern approach is to do the container method, which is a similar idea to virtual machines in that you just have kind of these isolated environments, but they're even more isolated um, in that you just run individual applications or individual services inside these containers, and then you deploy these containers into fleets. Um, now, that is – a lot of people pit serverless against containers, um, and but I think there's room for both. Um, But, you know, doing things in a container format has its pros and cons as well, um, in that you can have a developer build a container on his local laptop, and then you can take that container that he just built and run it anywhere and run a million of them. Uh, And so, you know, it certainly has some benefits there. uh, But I would say that's kind of the second model. And then the third model is the, I'll say, serverless approach um, that, that can also include things like... Um instead of service containers, you have RDS uh, or hosted database services, right? So um, AWS or uh, Google or Azure are running databases for you, and you can just connect to the database and you have your database there and you just use it as a database. So instead of having to install the database on a server or install it in a container. So I would kind of lump that into the serverless model where there's kind of the uh, the cloud services Um, you know, all these kind of individual services that the cloud uh, vendors are running for you that you can make use of. And so I think that's kind of a third model. And you can mix and match these for sure, but I think those are kind of the main kind of deployment mechanisms.
0: Now, I know you um, recently wrote that blog piece on why serverless won't replace traditional servers. So what, what would you say are some good use cases for serverless? And then what are, you know, the use cases that serverless? and you're still going to need the traditional servers for?
1: Yeah, I think um, there's a a couple different uh, um, factors that you can do in this. Uh, So I think the cases where serverless works well is, again, brand new applications or even new companies, new startups, right? So um, cases where you're starting fresh from scratch, you don't have to port over any code or port over any deployment mechanisms. Um, I think that's a major factor in whether you have to rewrite code or rewrite your services. It also, uh, you know, serverless is great for if you have sporadic use. So if you have a script that only needs to get run kind of an on-demand format, um, and sometimes that on-demand is only once every couple of days. Uh, Sometimes it's a million times a day because all of a sudden uh, something's different. Maybe it's a specific day of the year. Maybe something's changed about the business. Maybe just a bunch of people found out about your business. So that can be something that causes you to need um, kind of that immediate bursting, uh, the immediate scalability. Uh, I think that can make a lot of sense. Now, if it's, you know, cases where serverless may not make much sense, like I said, I wouldn't rewrite a whole application just to use serverless um, without at least doing a lot of evaluation about the ROI on that. Um, And the reason I say that is because a lot of times if you're sitting there rewriting your applications, you're not making any forward progress, right? You're not implementing new features, you're not pushing the ball forward. Uh, there's a famous story of Netscape uh, had a browser, Netscape Navigator, and they ended up rewriting the entire browser from scratch. Um, but at the end of two years, they had basically the same browser, just it was fast, slightly faster. But they lost a ton of market share because Internet Explorer, because Firefox, and so you know, you, you, if you spend all this time rewriting your applications just to use a different back end, the customer's not getting anything beneficial out of that. And you're going to lose your market share. You're going to lose all your your kind of intellectual property um, just because everyone else is kind of moving ahead. So, you know, just rewriting something for the sake of using Treblis doesn't make sense. Um, And then also it's just if you have uh, more of a monolithic application where instead of trying to break it into microservices, trying to run just a giant, uh, you know, Java application, for instance, you might just need a giant VC server um Whereas trying to stick that into a lambda function uh is challenging, and so um you know there's there certainly uh design patterns that people have used for writing applications where serverless just may not make sense for that now do you have
0: any um you know predictions or idea of where serverless is going? I know you're cautious about it right now, so do you foresee it taking over um you know, in the near future, or where do you think this is all going?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely see it growing, for sure. Uh, I, I am very uh, bullish on the use of serverless. I mean, I use it myself. If I'm just at home playing around with different ideas, I'll, I'll fire up some serverless. We use it internally here for, uh, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a Python script to uh, take a bunch of data, sort through the data, and then uh, post kind of the top 10 uh, of out of the data that I find into our Slack channel, uh, so I wrote a script to do that and uh, posted that as a Lambda function, and then uh, you know it just runs when I need to, so I don't have to have it running off of my laptop, or I don't have to have spin up a server that runs all the time just to run that one function once a day. So it's perfect for that. So I definitely think more and more people are going to be using serverless. Uh, I think I think the use cases will rise. Now I don't think it's going to just completely eliminate servers, um, which is part of what that blog post was about. Um, and it's it's hard to tell if and when it will uh, kind of overtake servers. I think there's just so much historical use of servers, even though that use has changed from physical servers to virtual machines to now cloud uh, servers, cloud virtual machines. But I think that kind of use case of, look, I can install an operating system and install my applications. I just don't think that the preliminary model is going away. And I think uh, whether people realize it or not, it's a huge chunk of what runs our world today. Uh, The the companies and the the businesses that are run, the majority of them are just, you know, 99% servers. And so, yeah, they, they might start to slowly go down. And as new startups
0: come up, obviously, startups can rise very quickly but um, you know so I, so i think the use is